Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. You'll also hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's September 6th. The Candia Massacre took place on this day in 1898. The city of Candia is now more commonly known as Heraklion. It's on the island of Crete. After the Fourth Crusade, Crete was sold to Venice, but the Venetians weren't all that kind to the island's predominantly Greek population. So in 1645, the Ottoman Empire invaded Crete. They thought they would have the support of the Greek population in fighting against the Venetians, which was true, but Venice was determined to stay in control of the island. In particular, the city of Candia was very, very heavily fortified, and the Ottoman force lay siege to it for 22 years. This was one of the longest sieges in the entire history of the world. Maintaining all of this defense against the siege was expensive, it was very difficult for Venice, and they finally ceded Crete to the Ottoman Empire on September 6th of 1669. Fast forward to 1896. The Ottoman Empire is really in decline, and numerous nations become very deeply interested in trying to prevent a war as the Ottoman Empire recedes. They finally convinced the Ottoman Empire to reform the government of Crete and to establish a Christian governor and a European commission for overseeing things like the police and the courts. That is where we pick up for the Candia Massacre. Crete's population at this point included both Christians and Muslims, and while the Christians were delighted about this change and having a Christian governor in charge, the Muslims were furious. This led to ongoing religiously motivated violence as the international powers involved tried to put Crete under local control and failed. Ultimately, Russia, France, Italy, and Great Britain divided up the island and they placed their respective forces in four different quadrants. The British forces were in and around Candia. In August of 1898, a plan was put in place to establish a tithe on exports and to put the tithe collector's office under British control. This meant that the Muslims who were currently working in the tithe collector's office in Candia were going to be replaced with Christians. The Muslim population, which far outnumbered the Christian population in the city, objected to this. They were outraged, and a group of armed people stormed the collector's office. It is not clear exactly what happened. The accounts from the day completely contradict each other, but it became extremely violent. Muslims started attacking the British detachment of troops there as well as attacking Christian homes. Fourteen British soldiers and the British vice consul were killed in the initial violence, and then it just exploded into a massacre with hundreds of Christians being killed. The massacre only started to slow down when the HMS Hazard, which was anchored offshore, started shelling the town. An international force of about 300 additional troops were sent to the town to try to restore order. The officer who was in command of the Turkish forces, who were still in Crete, also learned of what was going on and committed troops to restoring order as well. In the end, fewer than 500 of the approximately 1,000 Christians who had been living in the city survived. Some of them survived after being sheltered by their Muslim neighbors. 
Within a couple of weeks, though, nearly all of the surviving Christian population had left. Multiple courts of inquiry were held after all of this, with more than 200 suspects being arrested and nearly 80 trials. There were 19 executions within three months. During all this, it was revealed that one of the major perpetrators had been a high-ranking member of the Ottoman force who was acting against orders. That became a major factor in removing the remainder of the Ottoman force from Crete completely. And this incident was part of an international movement toward establishing international laws in relation to war crimes. Because in a lot of cases, when it came to actually trying the perpetrators, it just was not clear in whose jurisdiction a particular person should be tried in. It was not clear where they were going to get a fair trial. In Crete, the anniversary of this massacre is marked on August 25th, which was the day that it fell on under the old Julian calendar, which was in use at the time. There's a 25th of August street in Heraklion today. Thanks to Eves Jeffcoat for her research work on today's episode, and thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio work on this show. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And tomorrow you can tune in for one of the most profitable raids in pirate history. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history day by day. The day was September 6, 1877. Charles Joseph Bolden was born in New Orleans to Alice and Westmore Bolden. Buddy Bolden, as he was known, was a cornetist who was instrumental in the development of jazz. There is a considerable amount of mystery and discrepancy surrounding the details of his life, but the recollections of his friends and peers have helped preserve his story. Buddy's older sister died in 1881 of encephalitis. Two years later, his father died of pneumonia. When Buddy was 10 years old, he, his mother, and his younger sister moved into a house on First Street in New Orleans. Buddy was not formally trained in playing the cornet, but in the mid-1890s, Buddy began taking lessons from a neighbor who was a cook and a family friend. Around this same time, Buddy joined a small dance band led by Charlie Galloway. As he performed around the city, he gained a lot of fans and attention. He met a woman named Hattie Oliver, with whom he had a child in 1897. He also had a daughter named Bernadine years later, with a woman named Nora Bass. But their relationships did not last long, and he lived with his mother and sister throughout much of his 20s. By the turn of the century, Buddy was the bandleader of a steady group of people. There were two clarinet players, one trombonist, one guitarist, one bass player, and a drummer. Buddy and his band were known for improvising and making traditional and popular songs their own. They often played at the Union Sons Hall, a popular entertainment venue in Black Storyville, a part of the red light district called Storyville that was for Black people. Buddy would play late into the night, and some days he would make appearances at more than one venue. Buddy gained a lot of fame relatively quickly, and that took a toll on him. He began drinking heavily and had headaches. 
Around 1906, he started showing signs of mental illness. He missed shows, clashed with his bandmates, and became paranoid. In March of 1906, he was arrested and jailed after hitting Nora's mother with a water pitcher. The press covered this incident, though they offered different accounts on whether he had hit Nora's mother or his own. By the end of that year, Buddy's bandmates left his band, and musicians began to rotate in and out of his group. He continued to struggle with mental illness. He shorted band members on their pay and left the Labor Day parade route that he was marching for unknown reasons. After he was arrested for what the police called insanity on September 8th and then released, he never played his cornet again. In April of 1907, he was committed to the Jackson Insane Asylum. Two months later, he was transferred to the mental institution in Jackson, Louisiana. He was diagnosed with dementia praecox paranoid type, which later morphed into a parallel diagnosis of schizophrenia. His mother and sister visited him at the asylum and wrote letters to him after they stopped visiting. Buddy stayed there until he died in November of 1931 in Parker General Hospital, which was part of the asylum. He died of cerebral arterial sclerosis. Buddy had been considered one of the founding fathers of jazz, but there are no records of Buddy's performances. Though Buddy did innovate in his style and sound, there is debate over exactly what Buddy may have pioneered. After he stopped playing his cornet, a style of jazz called Dixieland developed in New Orleans. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through time. See you here in the exact same spot tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.